1: recently announced value-based home health payment demonstration. With me to discuss the topic is Cheryl Mason. Listeners will recall I discussed with Cheryl fraud in post-acute delivery in August of 2014. Cheryl, welcome back to the program. Thank you. It's a pleasure to be here. As always, Cheryl's bio is posted on the podcast website. On background, home health care is the Medicare benefit that provides skilled nursing, physical therapy, speech therapy, and other therapeutic services to beneficiaries in their home. This care is provided by well over 12,000 home health agencies to over 3.5 million Medicare beneficiaries annually at a cost of over $18 billion, or about 5% of all Medicare fee-for-service spending. This past July, CMS proposed to begin to use financial incentives to reward care quality via a demonstration program that would reward agencies with higher reimbursement payments that meet or exceed performance standards based on quality and efficiency metrics and punish agencies with lower payments that fail to meet these performance standards. With me to discuss the impetus for this demonstration and how this demonstration will work as proposed is, again, Cheryl Mason. So, Cheryl, with that on background, Or his introduction. Before we go into the details, what are CMS's reasons for testing this value-based home health performance model? Sure. Well, there are a
0: number of reasons, and there's a bit of history. You know, I I have a degree in American studies, so I love to bore people with history. But um, but so if we go back, for example, you know, we know that the home health um, spend on home health has been growing since. 2000 it was at about 8.5 billion and today we're at around 17.9 billion so there's been significant growth in the spend on home health in the number of agencies and also things like uh, readmissions to hospitals we're at about I think 27 percent rate of, of uh, readmissions for home health care beneficiaries and and so there's concern about that um in addition to that, of course, the Secretary of Health and Human Services has set basically two overarching, uh, overall delivery system reform goals for CMS. Uh, Number one, they seek to tie at least 30% of fee-for-service payments to quality or value-based purchasing payment arrangements by the end of 2016 and 50% by the end of 2018. And their second goal is to tie at least 85% of all fee-for-service performance to value or quality by 2016 and 90% by the end of 2018. So so this home health value-based purchasing program that's been proposed is very much in concert with the overarching goals of the department. So, And going back in history a little bit, you know, if we look at between 2008 and 2010, CMS actually conducted a home health pay-for-performance demo, um, a three-year demo. And basically what, what happened there was it led to very modest improvements in certain quality measures, but they learned some very valuable lessons in that, and they've incorporated those lessons into this proposed uh, program that was in this year's proposed rule. So what they learned was that there is certainly a need to link quality efforts to incentives that are robust enough to drive changes in provider behavior, and also there's a need to provide agencies with prompt, timely feedback on their performance. During the demo, it took as long as a year for agencies to know where they stood as far as their performance is concerned, so CMS took that into account, and when we go into the details of the program, you know, I'll go through what the reporting schedule will be. So, uh, and again, as far as the incentives are concerned, what they learned is that the incentives have to be reliable, of sufficient magnitude, again, to dr- drive changes in behavior, and paid in a timely manner. So, so basically, that's a little bit of history. Also, the Affordable Care Act directed Health and Human Services to develop a plan to implement a value-based purchasing program for home health. So, you know, this was part of the Affordable Care Act. And in March of 2012, the secretary issued a report to the Congress uh, basically outlining the framework for a plan. Also, if we look at the president's budgets, both for budget proposals for, for fiscal year 2015 and 2016, they included value-based purchasing proposals for SNFs, home health agencies, ambulatory surgery centers, and outpatient departments. So we know that SNFs got their value-based program through one of the DOCFIX patches, um, but, uh, you know, home health uh, still does not operate under a program, such a program. So uh, just to compare to the the president's budget proposal to what we have in this year's proposed rule, uh, the, the 2016 budget proposal called for 2% of payments to be tied to, tied to quality and efficiency for the first two years of implementation of a program beginning in 2017 and at least 5% beginning in 2019 and that these, these uh, payments should be made in a budget neutral manner overall to the industry. So the numbers again are a little bit different than what we, what we see in this proposed rule. And then finally, in last year's rulemaking, CMS uh, sought feedback and comments on the creation of a value-based purchasing program. Uh, they suggested that they were going to create a program that would involve providers in five to eight states uh, with incentives of as much as five to eight percent. And indeed, what they did in this year's proposed rule is they included all providers in nine states, and they did stick with their five to eight uh, percent financial incentives phased in over
1: five years. So, bottom line is this was expected. Exactly. No, no, not a big surprise. Well, let's then go to the substance, and you did give a few, uh, make a few comments in that regard. But what are the quality performance or quality improvements or outcomes CMS is considering in the proposed? So, let's start with that. Exactly. Sure. How will they hope to uh, improve quality? Exactly. So, so
0: CMS basically has, has grouped the quality measures into, into three buckets. There are clinical quality measures, there are process measures, and then there are patient satisfaction measures, which is an, uh, an old nurse, that warms my heart to, to know that they're including what what patients and their families actually think of the care that's being provided to them in this quality program. But they actually um, have many, there are more than 25 measures included here, and I'll, I'll just read off the list. So we'll start with the process measures. Uh, process measures include timely initiation of care, the types and sources of assistance provided to beneficiaries, uh, the use of pressure ulcer prevention and care interventions, whether or not people are assessed for the risk of falls, whether or not they're assessed for depression, uh whether or not they're assessed for their flu vaccine status and uh, whether or not that flu vaccine was appropriately received, whether or not they've been assessed for for uh if they've had the pneumococcal vaccine and if it hasn't been administered the reason that the reason why not is documented, and whether or not medication education has been provided to the beneficiary. So those are the process measures. The outcome measures um and I'll just make a comment on this, they're very heavily focused on improvement, particularly in function, and that is... You know, when, you, when we get to the point where you ask me about some of my concerns about the program, that is, one, because if we think of the patient population that's served by home health, many home health agencies have very robust palliative care programs. Many of them are caring for people who are, are really, really ill and and disabled, and, and it may not be reasonable to expect improvement in their functionality, But but I digress. Anyway, the outcome measures are improvement in locomotion, improvement in bed transferring, in bathing... In shortness of breath, discharge to the community, hospitalization within 60 days of initiation of home care, rehospitalization within 30 days of initiation of home care, emergency department use, improvement in pain that interferes with activity, improvement in the management of oral medications, and improvement in overall function. So those are the outcome measures, the clinical outcome measures.
1: And on those, we want to reduce hospitalizations in ED. That's what they're
0: measuring. Exactly, okay. exactly, right. So, and then there, there are several measures from the uh, home health caps or the, the patient satisfaction surveys that you know home health agencies are required to conduct. Uh, one is the feedback on the care that's been provided to the patients. Two, uh, communications or the quality of the communication between the providers and the patients. Um, they'll also be uh, collecting data on specific care issues. They'll want an overall rating of the home health care agency and also whether or not the patient and the patient's family or caregivers would be willing to recommend the agency to others. So that's that's what's included from a patient and caregiver satisfaction perspective. And so then all of these basically are things that are already monitored by home health agencies. It's information that's already gathered either through the home health caps process or through the assessment process, which is called, of course, their, their document that they use for assessment is called the OASIS. So, so these are not new things for the home health agency to capture, but they did add four new measures, uh, including whether or not agency personnel have received the flu vaccine, whether or not patients are being assessed for the necessity of a shingles vaccine, whether or not advanced care planning is being done uh, with patients, and also adverse events for improper medication administration and or side effects. So so that is quite a laundry list of quality uh, process uh, and outcome measures um, that, that they would have to track. And, and basically the way it will work is CMS would use calendar year 2015 as the baseline year and that would be the year that the agency would be measured against, right, and with calendar year 2016 as the first performance year. So um, one thing a little aside, to I'd like to mention is, of course, the IMPACT Act is going to require all post-acute providers, including home health, to gather certain uh, quality measures as well, uh, and that becomes effective beginning in 2017. And the things that the IMPACT Act requires reporting on include Uh, all cause, all condition, potentially preventable readmission rates, Medicare spending per beneficiary, which of course is not included in the list for this uh, value-based purchasing program, and the share of all patients who are discharged to community and the percent of patients for whom medication reconciliation actions were completed. So some of those are embedded in this this, uh, proposed program, and, and some of them are not. So there will be some overlap there. So
1: the performance in 16 is measured against 15. Right. And you did mention earlier this is in upwards of nine states, is that correct? It's in nine states,
0: exactly. And it's mandatory, very interesting. It's unusual for CMS to propose a mandatory demonstration project. And, and so in this case, they're, they're requiring all home health agencies in Massachusetts, Maryland, North Carolina, Florida, Washington, Arizona, Iowa, Nebraska, and Tennessee to participate in the demonstration. So, and, and you can tell by the names I rattled off there, there are a couple of states there that have very, very big Medicare populations, Florida and Arizona, of course. But we've got each region of the United States represented with the Northeast, represented basically, of course, by Massachusetts, uh, Mid-Atlantic, Maryland, and North Carolina. Out West, of course, is Arizona and Washington State. The Southeast is Florida and Tennessee. And and then, of course, in the Midwest, we've got Iowa and Nebraska. So they they... Try to make it, uh, you know, a relatively balanced uh, pick of the nine
1: states. And you mentioned the incentives, meaning the bonus payments for high performance will be beginning upwards of 8%, but I believe they begin at 5%. And how does that get administered? So at the end sure. of the year, upon evaluation performance, they're cut a check?
0: Sure. So the way it
1: works, let me just go through
0: basically the whole mechanism and the reporting mechanism and that sort of thing, because I think that'd be helpful. So baseline year again for performance is 2015. The first performance year of 2016, the first payment adjustment would begin January 1st of 2018, and it would be applied for that calendar year based on 2016 performance data, if that makes sense. So the withhold and potential upside and downside, uh, would increase from 5% in 2018 and 2019 to 6% in 2020 to 8% in 2021 and 2022. So those are the amounts that would be withheld, you know, from the, the payments for the agencies during those particular years and then given back depending upon how they perform from a quality perspective. So, and then also interesting to understand that although the payment adjustments all take place over five years, the demo actually spans seven years from 2016 to 2022. And providers will be notified of their first payment adjustment on August 1, 2017, and they'll have a 10 day period to review their performance data, and to request um, recalculation if they think it's, it's an error. And the scoring will be based on the higher of the achievement of the agency or the improvement for each category, much like the hospital value-based purchasing program. So, And there have been some comments about that. I know MedPack is a little bit concerned about that, that you know, perhaps agencies that really were not doing a good job of providing care in 2015 would put forth the effort and perhaps be paid the same or even more than agencies that were doing a brilliant job in 2015, but uh, so didn't have as much room for improvement. Uh, So there is a little bit of concern. MedPAC is concerned anyway about that.
1: And there's a 2 correct me if I'm wrong, there's a two-year delay between performance and reward.
0: Exactly. Exactly.
1: Right. I did mention that Medicare home health spending is about $18 billion annually. Right. What does this demo, uh, as proposed, hope to save? So basically,
0: the only savings, it's budget neutral for the industry overall. I mean, obviously, it won't be budget neutral for each individual agency, depending on their performance. The only savings that CMS estimated in the proposed rule related to this program would be a decrease in hospital utilization and SNF utilization. So they anticipate a savings of of $380 million, but not uh, uh, from reduced home health utilization, from reduced institutional setting use.
1: So indirect savings.
0: Exactly, correct. And so that's,
1: that's for the seven year period. Exactly, right. Right, right let's, let's go to your assessment of all this. There are a lot of details, but of course, as proposed, there are always pros and cons here. I think you did note a few that you thought were upsides. Um, there have been a good number of comment letters to this 119, sure, yes. <laughs> to be exact? Yeah, exactly. So, relative to the selection process, time frame, performance metrics, payment metrics, and all the other variables. What's your assessment? Sure. I
0: think, first of all, it, it really, uh, I'm excited to see the administration focusing so heavily on quality outcomes and patient satisfaction. So, rewarding home health agencies that really put the effort into making care better for their beneficiaries that they serve. I, I think that just overall is a wonderful thing. I, I really do like the idea of mandatory participation uh, because it will give them a much broader spectrum of agencies to evaluate. You know, when we have voluntary demonstrations, oftentimes there's a hesitation to participate if there's a downside financial risk.
1: And there's selection bias.
0: Exactly, exactly. So, agencies that can afford to take the risk tend to be the ones that participate. Um, So, I think, you know, it'll give them a much better picture having the mandatory participation. I think the diverse geographic distribution of the states with some that have very large Medicare populations is, you know, should help to to create a more meaningful program. Again, the inclusion of feedback from patients and and their caregivers and the scores. Um, the incentives, I know, are of uh, a great deal of concern to the industry, the 5 to 8%, um, but they have, I mean, if we look at it not from the industry's perspective, but objectively, based on what they learned from the demo that they did previously, that certainly would have... Um, you know that that five to eight percent, I believe, would be meaningful enough to drive changes in behavior. And they have high
1: margins to begin with
0: overall. Exactly, higher than other providers. And one of the arguments that the industry is making is, look, the hospital program started at one point two five percent withhold, and you know potential up or downside uh, potential, and then up to a. 2% when it's fully phased in but if we look at hospital margins they're actually negative right so if you look at in 2012 hospital margins were negative 5.4% home health was positive 14.4% in the same period now margins for home health have gone down since then because of rebasing and and the you know the recalculation of case mix weights but but they're still north anticipated for 2015 to be north of 10% on the positive side so it's it's hard to compare those two sectors Uh, from that perspective. The other thing I think is a positive is the first year of the financial withhold is, it takes place after rebasing is completed, which I think is really important. Uh, So the timing of this, um, you know, I think is relatively good. And then again, that the overall goals are compatible with the overarching goals of health and human services.
1: So I think all of those things would be, I would consider to be uh, positive. Let me ask you then on the flip side of the coin, much of the criticism around home health is variation in use by region. Mm-hmm. Does this demo directly or possibly indirectly get at addressing that issue?
0: I don't know that it really gets into the utilization issue. What it really drives to are, you know is, the, is quality. Mm-hmm. So, uh, so I, don't, I don't believe that it addresses the, the disparity in, in utilization between certain pockets, let's say, in Texas and South Florida as compared to Nebraska. So this does not address that. Uh, you know, I think HHS is going at that issue uh, with other tools, things like the moratoria on new provider numbers and uh, and uh, and issues like that, and then the rebasing actually driving down the margins to a certain extent. We have seen, we did see in the last year actually a very slight decline in the number of home health agencies for the first time in many many years. So, um, so that. Um, but but you know, on the flip side too, you know, you asked me for the pros and the cons. So I. I don't know if these are all cons, but they're things that I'm questioning or or wondering about how they'll address. There are so many indicators in this program to monitor. I think it's very, very complex. Um, And that was one comment that MedPAC made as well, that perhaps, you know, rather than worrying about whether the staff has received their flu shots, we really should be focusing strictly on patient-related outcomes. Um, so, so that um, you know, I worry about the complexity. As from it, you know, I used to run home health agencies, and from a former administrator's perspective, uh, it it seems like a very complex uh, program. And the other thing is, why not use the same indicators that the Impact Act are requiring, and certainly including resource use. I, you know, I think that's a very valuable uh, measure to include in this. Um, I think the time frame for the for the program is, again, as a former agency administrator. Basically, they would have 60 days to get ready. That's pretty short uh, for something of this magnitude. Um, So, um, you know, I did mention that um, there has been pushback by the provider community about the 5 to 8%. Uh, The other thing that I would say, too, about the timeframe for hospitalization and rehospitalization, um, you know, the average number of of episodes per beneficiary is 1.9 episodes. And the hospitalization only takes us to 60 days from the initiation of home care, which is one episode. So, uh, so, and, you know, and then rehospitalization only within 30 days of the initiation. Wouldn't they perhaps want to monitor rehospitalization throughout the entire course of home health, uh, being provided and then perhaps even afterward? So, uh, so that's a concern. And then the other one is about the number of, of indicators that are related to improvement in the patient condition. We know that, you know, in the Jim O. v. Sibelius lawsuit, the court found that, that CMS cannot use an improvement standard to determine whether or not a person qualifies for care that will be reimbursed by Medicare. Now, it didn't say anything about quality measures being based on improvement, right, uh, because that this you know, idea really hadn't been completely hatched at that point, but, but there is a concern about that, so many of them being focused on improvement in functionality, and, and perhaps will this disadvantage home health agencies that are caring for more clinically complex
1: uh, patient populations. And where the hope at best is stabilization. Exactly, exactly. Well, we have time for just one uh, final question. So this is a proposed rule out in early July. Right. When does this go final? Sure, usually around Halloween.
0: It has to be finalized by November 1st because providers, uh, if it's finalized as proposed, providers will will have to have 60 days to get ready for implementation, which would be effective January 1st of
1: 2016. Well, Cheryl, whirlwind tour of this proposed (laughs) value-based home health payment demo. So thank you so much for your time once again. Absolutely. Always a pleasure, David. Thank you. You have just heard another edition of
0: the Healthcare Policy Podcast hosted by David To comment on this program or others, to see information about upcoming interviews, to suggest a program
1: topic, or to hear an archive program, please visit our website, thehealthcarepolicypodcast.com. Thank you for listening, and please listen again soon.